we have come to receive strength to do. Open your mouth and pray. Say, Lord, when it is time for me to do, when life would put pressure on me to do, I will do the things that I have heard. In the name of Jesus, your word in my life will not fail. Your word in my life will not fail. In the name of Jesus, the word of God in my life will not fail. It will not fail. Every word I have heard, every word I've been hearing, the ones I will hear, they will not fail. In the name of Jesus, they will produce 30, 60, and 100 fold in my life. They will produce in my family. For this nation, the word of God will produce. In the name of Jesus, pray for yourselves. I believe this is a time God needs doers. God needs doers. Pray for yourself. Father, we give you praise. Thank you so much that you have brought us together again. Jesus be glorified. Jesus be glorified. Begin to give him thanks. Begin to give him thanks. Thank him for your life. Thank him. Thank him. Say, Lord, I thank you for the power to do that you're releasing to me this evening. Lord, we give you thanks. Bless your people. Heal your people this evening. Grant your people understanding. Give your people direction. And glorify Jesus. In the name of Jesus, we have prayed. All right, can we all rise for the reading of the word of God? Let's go to the book, um, first letter to Corinthians, chapter 3. It says, brothers, I could not address you as spiritual, but as worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not yet ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. You are still worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere men? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not mere men? What, after all, is Apollos, and what is Paul? Only servants, through whom you, you came to believe, as the Lord has assigned to each his task. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God made it grow. So neither be he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The man who plants and the man who waters have one purpose, and each will be rewarded according to his own labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as an expert builder, and someone else is building on it. But each one should be careful how he builds, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If any man builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, his work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each man's work. If what he has built survives, he will receive his reward. If it is buried up, he will suffer loss. He himself will be saved, but only as one escaping through the flames. Don't you know that you yourself are God's temple and that God's spirit lives in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is sacred and you are that temple. Do not deceive yourselves. If any one of you thinks he is wise by the standard of this world, this age, he should become a fool, so that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness in God's sight. As it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows that the thoughts of the wise are futile. So then, no more boasting about men. All things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas, or the world or life or death, or the present or the future. All are yours. And you are of God, and Christ is of God. Praise the Lord. All right, the Lord is good. I said the Lord is good. If you believe, give me an amen. amen. All right, as usual, let's take our declaration of understanding as we begin to study. Now I declare, the Lord has given me the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. And I'm being filled with the knowledge of His will. In all spiritual wisdom and understanding, as a result of this, I'm walking in a manner worthy of the Lord. I am pleasing Him in all respects. I'm bearing fruit in every good work. 
and I'm increasing in the knowledge of God. Now again, I incline my ears to his word. The word is entering my heart. It is giving me light and direction. It is healing me in every area. And it's making me more and more like the Lord Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. I said amen. Now, Professor, to that person, say, understanding is your portion today. Say, as you have said, and with the confidence with which you said it, that will be your portion. Some people want to say it again now because of that last prayer. The Lord is good. I said the Lord is good. Let's take our seats. Our Bible reading this morning was taken from 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And uh, why we read that, of course, that version was a new American, new international version, in case you were wondering. Okay, so, we read that to bring out a number of issues. Paul was explaining the particular principle to us about the fact that every man must be careful how he builds. If you go down to verse 12, or let's go down back to verse 10, I, as I suppose it's still open in your Bible. Paul said, according to the grace of God which was given to me, like a wise master builder, I laid a foundation and another is building on it. But each must be careful how he builds. Please bear that in mind. Each must be careful how it builds. And that's what I'm teaching about today. Why we, how we must be careful how we build. Now, Paul here was saying, talking about preaching. He was talking about people building up the body of Christ. He was talking about the, uh, the work of advancing the truth of God. But that principle spans every area of life. If God gives you children, he's saying, be careful how you build. If God gives you a business, he says, be careful how you build. If God gives you a career, he's saying, be careful how you build. If God gives you a ministry, he's saying the same thing, be careful how you build. All right? That principle applies to every area of life not just the advancement or the preaching of the gospel that Paul was specifically talking about here. Now, we are talking about building up our faith, and we have been looking at that for some time. And please, as I always do, I rush through what we have said quickly, all right, for a minute or two, then I'll focus because I need to continue where we stopped last time. I realize how important that is. What we have been saying is that there are a number of areas where we must deliberately build our lives on the Word of God, and by doing that, we are indirectly building up our faith. That is not just about we want to set up our, you know, we want to set up, uh, you no, know, want to focus so that we can build our faith. Let's just do some things that are right and God will impart to us the spirit of faith. That is what is called the spirit of faith. The ability to believe is an impartation from God. God can withdraw it from people. He can impart it to people. He withdrew that ability from Pharaoh until today he's withdrawing it from people. There was a time he withdrew it, withdrew it from the whole of Israel. He said to Isaiah, all right, go and deaden the ears of these people. Make their hearts dull. Isaiah said, how do I do that? He says, say to them, hear and don't understand. See and don't perceive. The point is that God could deaden the hearts of people. People's hearts become hard. And he did that to Pharaoh. Why does he do it is what we are talking about. Or why will he give up the spirit of faith? So it's a, an infusion from God that our faith is. And how do we do that? We're looking at that. We must deliberately set our hearts on building our lives in different areas, okay, on the word of God. We looked at how we interpret everything that happens to us. Even though what's happening to you appears common, don't assume it's common. In Israel, snake bites were, listen, you must understand something. I've seen people analyze the, you know, the, the way the Israel moved. Even the earthquake, when um, Korah, Datan, and Abiram, when they, they were swallowed. Okay, those things were not totally new in that area. The land there is porous, all right? They have caves that do collapse once in a while. But why did it happen to those people? So people want to deny the supremacy of God and the hand of God in things can try and give you the geographical and the geological reasons why those guys collapsed into the pit. But that was not what happened. What really happened was that God decreed it and he told you the time it would happen and he told those people to... Moses told people to move back, and it happened as he had prophesied. Desert is a dangerous place. Desert is a dangerous place. So when you find serpents biting in the desert, it's not a new thing. But when it happened to Israel, it was an interesting thing. It was a sign of divine judgment. So even though what is happening to you is common, don't ever interpret it commonly. I hope you're getting my point here. Don't say things like, it is season for flu, so you too, you get flu. Are you a common person? No, there's something I I have never accidentally, mistakenly, you know, unintentionally, 
inadvertently regarded myself as a common man. I have never been able to receive it. When they say we common men, it has never come out from my mouth. My mouth, my heart has never imbibed that word. I I have never altered it to call myself a common man. It is an insult to the Jesus who died for me. It is an insult to God my Father for me to be called a common man. I am not a common man. It's not pride. It's the word of God. I am unique. He said you are a peculiar people, a holy nation. What is common about me? How many of my type have you seen anyway? I hope you're getting my point here. As the people of God, the Bible says you are a peculiar people, a holy nation. Look, a people for God's own possession. God has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. What was the reason Peter said? That he might show forth his excellencies. I'm not a common man. So if everybody is getting flu and you get it, your reason is different. If you are walking on water and you sink, there's a different reason. Average people sink. Why? Because human beings are not supposed to walk on water. But when Peter goes down, Jesus said, it is doubt. It is unbelief. He did not say that, what are you doing on water? He said, Peter, if I give you a word and you sink, it is because you were afraid you were walking in doubt. We do that deliberately. People fail exams every day. If you fail as a child of God, you go for reflection. You go and pray. People lose battles every day. Israel lost a battle. Joshua fell down before his, on his face and said, Lord, what happened? Why will your inheritance turn back from their enemies? He sent only 3,000 people to that battle. Too small a number to conquer that city, you would have thought, according to the principles of natural warfare. But for goodness sake, in their case, it wasn't so. It was that Achan stole something. Things that were under the ban. Things that God said destroy. Don't take. Achan took. The whole of Israel suffered for it. Number one, we deliberately interpret our lives with God's word. Remember, our expectations. Don't forget that. What am I, what's my life supposed to be like? Don't forget it. It's based on God's word. What God has offered me, I must receive. You don't turn out the gift of God and you go scot-free. It doesn't work like that. If God says, come for a party, you say you are busy, he condemns you. That's how he works. We receive whatever it is that he has given. And we receive it with, our, with, with, with a grateful heart. We explained about that. Then third one we've been staying on for some time is concerning the precepts by which we live our lives. The last one will be the words that we speak. And these words are derived from all these other things that we're going to be discussing, okay? But let me sit on that issue of the precepts by which we live our lives, okay? I need to continue on that particular point. So Paul said, every, and that each one who's building, I'm back to what we read about Paul now. Now remember we're talking about precepts. Paul said, anyone that's building must build carefully. And what I'm bringing up from there today is this. We must build by, now let me put it like this. What he's talking about here is the way by which we build. It is how that he's talking about. It is the motives in our heart and the principles upon which we build. Last time we explained a few points and I want to go on from that particular point today. I just do it quickly. Um, I'll do some review. Now remember we said something. David was anointed. I need to go over that again. David was anointed. As soon as Samuel poured oil on his head, anointed him king in Israel, his problems in life began. That you have troubles can be a sign of anointing. I hope you're getting my point. That you are hungry and you are broke. When everybody has a secure job, it could be a sign that you are going somewhere. So don't worry about it. I hope you're getting my point. But I emphasized that Samuel or whoever it was that taught David, I just believe it was Samuel, had explained to him, we read from Psalm 118, he said, open to me the gates of God. I may be down, I may be in a place of leanness, narrowness, and I want to go into my broad place, that's my desire. So I pray to God, and as a result of that, what I expect is that a sign of God's blessing is for him to teach me the way that I should choose. He that God loves, he te- who is it that fears the Lord? Him he will teach in the way that he should choose. That is, God, through Samuel, I'll explain to David, I will be the one to establish you on the throne. You will not establish yourself. Whatever way you get your result is the way you will sustain it. If you establish yourself on the throne, by, if you get to your throne by your own effort, you will sustain it by your own effort. So he said to David, if you want to endure... Don't touch Saul. 
That's a sign for us that there is a way of God. There is a way by which we enter into our destiny. And someone said to David, don't touch the Lord's anointed. And David went around running for his life many times. But he was careful never to touch the Lord's anointed. David did not touch the Lord's anointed. He was running from one pillar to one post. He was hiding here and there. Even when he had the opportunities. The point is this. There is a way by which you must build whatever God says you should build. I'll be getting my point. There is a way by which you must build whatever he says you should build. And you must be careful never to build in the way of the world. I said something last time. Actually, that's why what I want to continue about. I said, listen. If you build according to the way of the world, especially when you're a child of God, God will always judge it. It's a matter of time. He will judge it. The example we saw last time was the man, um, Lot. His elder, his uncle, told him, choose something. He, he shouldn't have accepted that offer. It's not every offer you accept. Okay? He should have said, look, you are my older brother. You are my uncle. You make the first choice. And or give me instructions concerning where I should go. But he missed it. He, he agreed to make the choice. Then he chose the plains towards Sodom. Okay? Where the Bible testifies when they were recording that, that it was like the plains in Egypt. As you go towards Zohar, you know, describe the beauty of the place. And Lot made a choice based on what his eyes could see. And the people, at that point, the people said, God said the people of Sodom were wicked. But Lot said, no problem. Now listen, the Bible makes it clear to us, Lot was a righteous man. And I said last time, don't be impressed by your own righteousness. Don't be impressed by your own service of God. Always pray, Lord, search me. Know my heart. Alright? Reveal to me my anxious thoughts. Because he knows it's just you that need to know. I hope you're getting my point here. Because there are other areas of life you need to make adjustments. We saw that a man like David, a man after God's heart, he had a terrible experience in life, in his home. He was, his strength was not sustained for a long period. People who loved God and walked with God like him, they lived very long in strength. They didn't die because of weakness. But David did. I hope you're getting my point. That tells us that even though God loves us, it does not mean anything we do, we just fly. Do you follow my point? I've heard people say that, uh, as a man of God, you know, that uh, people say things like, uh, you know, we are operating a particular unique level of grace. It's a lie. I hope you hear what I said. Let me say it again. The grace of God does two things for us. One, he instructs us. He teaches us, like Paul wrote to Titus. The grace of God teaches. He tells us to depart from worldly lusts. He tells us to depart from ungodliness. Grace makes sure you can hear it. Do you know why? Because people who are lost cannot even hear the instruction. I hope you're getting my point here. Those who are lost, they can't even hear the instruction. So grace is the reason why you, you are here. Grace is the reason why you tune to a radio program and hear a man preaching. Grace is why you can pick a book and read and be instructed in righteousness. That is grace. That's number one. Grace gives instructions. Number two, grace enables you. He said the law came through Moses, but grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. That is, Moses gave laws. Do this, don't do that. Do this, don't do that. No, grace not, does not just give you instructions. It gives you the ability. Moses did not give the ability, but grace does. But a sign that you have received true grace is that your life changes. Grace is not what you preach. Grace is what you do. I hope you're getting my point. Grace and truth were realized through Jesus. That is, those who walked with Jesus, their lives changed with little effort on their part. A sign that you have not received grace is that you are still in the gall of bitterness. A sign that you have not believed the grace of God is that you are still walking in iniquity. I hope you're getting my point here. A sign that you have not received the grace of God is that you are still in dead works. And I want to talk about dead works today. Let's get that clear. Okay? So grace gives us those instructions. It tells us to walk in godliness. It tells us to walk in holiness. It tells us to walk in righteousness. And it empowers us to do those things. Please, I hope you are getting my point here. All right? Now, so, what I would have to explain. That you see, there's the gate of God. Anything you want to enter into, we must deliberately learn the gates of God in different areas. You may be doing well in one area. There are other areas of life that even though David loved God, remember what I was saying? Yet he suffered tremendously in some other areas. So God keeps teaching us. He keeps instructing us that we must build our lives in different areas, specifically, deliberately on his word. 
any part of life you do not build on God's word, eventually he will judge. That's what I'm picking on. Or no, that's what I'm continuing from today. That is today from last time. Any part of life you do not deliberately build on the word of God. Listen to me. Even though it flourishes for a season, eventually he will judge it. Last time we said a man like Lot. He prospered for a long time. He was okay in the place. But listen to this. God, now, hey, hey. what I want to say is the truth. We have preached a God that is soft and nice, and it turns the other cheek every time we slap his face. Let me say to you again, that's not the true God. Our God is a judge of the living and the dead. Our God disciplines his children. Our God judges unrighteousness. He purges people. He prunes them. Let me say to you, he said to Jacob, I will not leave you until I have fulfilled. Now, I've explained that thing before. I will not leave you. It doesn't mean that I will always be with you. Don't worry. I will keep your head on my you know, shoulder and pat your back when things are rough. That's part of it. I will not leave you also means that, listen, <laughs> this boy, you think you are stubborn? I will flog foolishness out of you. That's part of I will not leave you. <laughs> you think you are wise in your own eyes, eh? Don't worry. I will disgrace you until you depend on me for wisdom. That's part of I will not leave you. Anything I find inside you that is not right, I will remove it. If you like be fighting and be crying, I will remove it. I will use a cane. I will use surgery. I will use different methods to get my will into you and to bring forth Christ out of you. I will not leave you. Now, what am I trying to say here? Please, I need to go over this again. I know I've preached it many times, but like again, we say, where there is no reputation, the people are not established. Why did God, because you must understand, God was there. He knows the end from the beginning. When Bathsheba took her tower, I wanted to go and bathe. I hope you know God knew where this was going to end. When David got up and stretched, ah, let me take a walk. God said, okay, oh. it will soon happen. All the angels were there. God could have just told one angel, cover his eyes. Because God knew David and women. You know now. Remember the analysis of his life. First six sons, six different women. And they were not all having sons. By the natural order of life, it's unlikely everybody conspired to have sons. I suspect... Twelve women were pregnant, side by side. Only one man of God responsible, Reverend David. God knew who he was. So he could have covered his eyes so that he would not see Bathsheba. But he didn't cover the eyes. Look, God says something. Paul told us something later. That God knows, God knows the temptation that we can bear. He knew that this one, David, would not be able to handle it. So why did he not stop it? The, the answer is what I want to give us again. There's, there was a reason for it. He could easily have blocked David's eyes and David would not have seen. This has happened, you know, after David was established. But the problem is that David, God said, I will not leave you until I have fulfilled everything that I promised concerning you. And David was, see, you must understand, Jesus was called the son of David. That's what the Bible calls the sure message of David. So many things are tied to the person David. I want to explain something to you. Your life is like that also. It is not just these few years, hundred years that you live that God is after. There are things, there are statements about God, about life you must make, which will span into eternity. I hope you're getting my point. So God said, this is my guy, David. You know what David said? God desires truth in the innermost being. That's what David himself said. You desire truth in the innermost being. So God looked at the innermost being of David and saw a dose of wickedness inside. And like the reference will say, it's only what you confess that he can forgive. That was one area where David said, David got it wrong. He thought that was not there. So God said, the only way I can prove to you it is there is I have to let it manifest. Because they had preached to David, he was judging other people. 
Remember our man, Peter? Jesus said, you will deny me. He said, lie, lie. That is, you can be deceived as to your own capabilities. So in David's case, David said, no, me, I can never do such. There was one man, now, if what I want to say will sound funny. But there was a man who did something like that before. And David judged the fellow very harshly. Say, so who's, who's the man? I don't know. But it happened. How do you know? It's just God's nature. When he says, judge not that you not be judged. David judged somebody and said, I need to judge you. That's the way God sets you up. And I can prove that also. Because when Nathan came to him, you see the first thing David did was to judge. So you know the rest of the story? He saw Bathsheba. He took Bathsheba. Bathsheba became pregnant, which is very, very strange. I mean, it's not, you just, just, just don't collide with a woman and just get pregnant like that. The whole thing was a setup. Spiritual setup. I'm telling you. So, what was the next thing? We have to cover the case. So, they murdered him, Joab, and some guys murdered Uriah. When all the wickedness in him had germinated, when lust had borne fruit, I hope you're getting my point. When those things had come out, God said, fine, now he can't deny it anymore. So he now sent Nathan. After all, Nathan could have come after Bathsheba got pregnant. You think Nathan traveled? Nathan could have come and said, thus says the Lord, you took another man's wife, and they will repent, not knowing he's capable of murder. So God said, let's allow murder to germinate. Let it bear fruit. So when everything has expressed themselves, all the evil in David has been expressed, Nathan has showed up and said, bros, bros, you get one man for this our country. You know the rest of the story. After he hyped the whole, David got angry. How can? And the quarrel was on goats. A goat, one goat. A man took a goat that belonged to another man. That man had only one goat. Meanwhile, this man had a flock. David said, in Israel, that man is a son of death. Get him for me. And Nathan said, Nathan said, I brought him with me. Actually, I met him here. Oh, he came before you? Yes, he's sitting on this throne with you right now. In fact, you are the man. Of course, prophetic words began to flow. This is what I'm going to say. David, God just wanted David hmm, to bring forth that evil that's inside him up to the surface, confess it, and let me cure it. I can assure you of one thing. He gave him that opportunity 10 years before that. David rejected it. I can assure you of another thing. He gave him another opportunity sometime before. He rejected it. Then when God saw that the day of passing of David was approaching, and this man will die in his sin. Now, when we say dying in his sin, it doesn't mean he will just commit one sin and I kill him. No. But that he will die and I will not have perfected him. I said, no, I won't let that happen. And I'm going to see something today. Everyone present. Eh? It's time co- <laughs> You don't hear this much in Pentecostal churches. But it's time for confession. See what are you talking about? You see what I'm talking about in a moment. You know the truth? God, what happened to David is not divine plan. Don't think God likes Wahala. You're not saying, hey, God, I'm in trouble. Hey, Bathsheba, don't come near me. You know that kind of thing. That's not what I mean. No. God only allowed that to happen because David would not take the necessary steps before that point. And I'm going to preach to you again today that everyone listening to me, you must take those steps. So, Because, listen to what I want to say, it will scare you and it should. Because if you don't, you will get to that point. Not because he's angry, but because he needs you to say, I have sinned. He needs you to say, there is iniquity inside me. And please, please, stop this nonsense doctrine that preaches as if once you give your life to Christ, you are pure. You're not. I have shown you from the word of God on this platform before, that Simon also believed. And he was baptized. Then when the evil in him began to manifest, Peter, who was taught by the resurrected Jesus for 40 days, so he knew what it meant to give your life to Christ. He looked at a man who had believed and said, you are sitting in the gull of bitterness. 
Let's read it quickly. Book of Acts. Because sometimes believers get confused. Because we preach a particular doctrine to them that says that everything they do is alright. They are in Christ. And once you are in Christ, everything is alright. Everything has passed away. That even if you sin, it is not you that sinned. It is your body that sinned. Have you, I hope you've heard, you've heard those things before. Let me say it again. Those doctrines are not correct. They are incomplete. That's actually where the problem starts from. Listen. This doctrine that says you are saved by grace and not by works at all, so you cannot be lost by your works, is just a lie, I'm sorry to say, from ignorant people. I was going to say worse, but let me calm it down. Now, you see, you can imagine anything you like and preach it. It's a free country. It's a free world. But we are talking about scripture, the word of God. Let us stick with God's word. Some of the people that preach who claim they are preaching from the New Testament, I don't think they read it at all. And let me say to you again, if you say you read only the New Testament, you don't know the word of God. Because the word of God starts from Genesis. I grew up with a doctrine. That as a Christian, you should focus on the New Testament. It is a lie. What did John read? What did Paul read? What did Peter read? What did James read? There was no New Testament when they lived. The New Testament is their own teaching of the Old Testament. It's their own teaching based on what Jesus taught them. But when they said to Timothy, Paul was writing to him, that you have known the Holy Scriptures that are able to make you wise unto salvation. He was talking about Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. He was talking about the Chetubim. Chetubim, the book of the histories of Israel. He was talking about the Psalms. He was talking about the early prophets and the latter prophets. Ruth, Judges, 1 Samuel, early prophets. Kings, early prophets. Latter prophets. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Nahum, Zechariah, down to Malachi. And when Jesus came, he took those same books and taught from them. And when Paul was going to write, he said, I have been made an apostle of the gospel that the prophets preached. The prophets were the first to preach the gospel. Moses preached towards the first gospel. When he was telling you what the Bible says, telling us what God said in Genesis, that the seed, that the serpent will strike at the hill, but the seed of that woman will bruise the head. It was a gospel he was preaching. When Moses said, God will raise for you another prophet like me. He was a gospel he was preaching. When Isaiah said, when he opened his mouth, who shall I send? Who shall go for us? It was, a, it was a gospel he was preaching. When he said, the Lord has hid him in his quiver, it was a gospel he was preaching. He wasn't talking about himself. When God said, are you getting me, to David, that your son will build me a house, we found out later it was the gospel that he was preaching. He wasn't talking about Solomon. He was talking about the real house of God, which you and I are. And Isaiah, in that classic gospel, 53, do I need to tell you, that was the gospel. Jeremiah preached it. Ezekiel described the house of God. And Jesus quoted it. Out of your bellies will flow forth rivers of living water. He was talking about the temple that Ezekiel saw. That was why Paul could read. I like one thing my pastor said those days. He said, if your eyes are unveiled, you pick what they call even the law. And you will see Jesus in everything. You see the tabernacle describing Jesus. You see a lamb going to the slaughter. Jesus described. Isaac was a foreshadowing of Jesus Christ. Joseph was a foreshadowing of Jesus Christ. That's why there was a time I took a number of these people and began to preach from them. And that's why your Bible does not contain any account of the life of Jesus from the time he was born till he entered into ministry apart from one or two instances. Like the time when he was the age of 12. I said, why was he silent? Because he said, these are the histories, histories of men of faith. Everything you find in their lives was perfected in Christ Jesus. So why do I need to repeat it? Go and read about Moses. You will know what happened to Jesus as a young person. 
When you see the perfections in the lives of all of these people, he said, what happened as a result? The father looked and said, this is my beloved son, in whom I'm well pleased. And the Bible calls him the author and the finisher of faith. It didn't say our faith. It's the author and the finisher, literal Greek, of faith. That is, any faith you found in Moses, it was in Jesus. Any faith you found in Elijah, it was in Jesus. Any faith you found in Jeremiah, it was in Jesus. When it was perfected, the father declared, this is my beloved son, in whom I'm well pleased. He said, no need to repeat history for you. So don't let anybody tell you that you should spend all your time reading only the New Testament. The New Testament is what I call the, no, the Rosetta Stone, the decoding no, algorithm for breaking down the things that are written in the prophets. Because the prophets will finish prophesying. And the Bible says that they wanted to know the things they prophesied about. And the Holy Spirit in them, the Spirit of Christ in them say, this is not for you. Prophesy and die in peace. Some of those things are coded. Coded. So when Jesus came, he took the book on the road to Emmaus and began to speak, starting from Genesis, from the law, the prophets, the Psalms, things concerning himself. Beautiful Psalm 2, Psalm 23, Psalm 24, Psalm 22, all of them about Jesus. Let nobody tell you, please. We preach that gospel for some time. Thank God for the time we learned it. It's not right. Every Christian must seek to understand what the Bible calls the whole counsel of God. That's just an aside. So sometimes the God we, pre- we, we preach is not balanced. He's not a complete God. This God I'm preaching to you again today, he's tough. He's firm. He doesn't take yamayama. doesn't take nonsense. If you keep nonsense inside you, you will push his hand inside and pull it out. If you don't vomit, out, vomit it out gently, do you get my point? You will cry as he's pulling it out. But he has said, and let me say it to you again, he said, I will not leave you. That was what happened to David. And let me say something to you again. God's business is not prosperity. You didn't, I mean, you didn't wake up in the morning to encounter God as trying to see how you get dollars into your hands. That's not the thing he's trying to do. His job is not to wake up today, you know, he doesn't sleep anyway. Say, what do I do this morning? How can I make these children have money? He knows that all flesh is grass. Your perfect faith is what he calls gold. No matter how beautiful your house, your money, whatever it is you have on this earth is, it will pass away. One of America's richest men died yesterday. He, I think, was 70-something. I said, listen, so this man too has died. No, it just crossed my mind. I say, he has died. Between he and his brother, if they combine their wealth, they should be the one, maybe the second richest in the world. Individually, each one of them may be like the 17th richest or the seventh rich, no, 17th richest in the world, thereabout. Rich man, wealthy man. When he's donating for causes he believes in, we are talking a hundred million dollars. But you know what I noticed? He's dead. I know what I found out. Every rich man will die. You know that? Every poor man too. So don't laugh at the rich. Every poor man too will die. And so you think God wants to stress... See, you think Jesus died for wealth that will last 80 years? It's not worth it. I don't yet have the faith to preach from this pulpit the cost of our salvation to the person Jesus Christ. I hear something with the hand of my ears, and I shake my head, can it be like that? The price he paid. Okay, let me give you an idea. David Paulson said he asked his children, assuming you had a pot, you know, if, you know, what do you call this? An, an aquarium, and it has fish inside. Goldfish, plenty of them. And they're having problems. They are struggling. They're having issues amongst themselves. Will you be willing to do anything to save them? Ah, the children, of course, say yes. Will you be willing to become fish to save them? Mm, Why not? Will you be willing to permanently be fish forever to save them? Question change you. Answer no. Do you understand my point? Say, let me think about it. Let me leave it there for now. The cost of salvation is not something they used to buy messages, Vince. 
Jesus didn't have to die to get you a Mercedes Benz. He would just come down. Benz, B. That's it. Zoom out of his word. A perfect, complete, never breaking down G class we show. Drive that one till you die. He wouldn't, why would he die for that? He didn't die to heal your diseases. No. Those are the extra additions. The Bible says he came to bring many sons to glory. Let me explain what I'm going to say here. That is for man, for a human being to become like God. Listen, listen, I told you something before. Satan cannot tempt anybody with what God never planned to give him. When Satan came and said to Eve, you will be like God. There was something about it. There was a truth inside it. The way Eve and Adam went wrong was, he said, open to me the gates of righteousness. They went for it through the gates of ungodliness. So the Bible says, he came to bring many sons to glory. If you know what Jesus came to die for, you won't let your skin touch whatever looks like iniquity. Any Christian walking in sin does not know what Jesus suffered for him or for her. You don't understand it. Otherwise, you are ungrateful. <laughs> the, about the highest sign that I know that you can use to show that you appreciate what Jesus did for you. It's not to say thank you. No. It's to walk away from sin. No, think about it like this. Assuming I take my son or somebody, my wife or anybody, anybody that I love so much, and the fellow is in the mud. I saw you soaked in mud. And I saw the kind of stain in your body. It will cost so much to free you. Do you get my point? Or let's assume that the fellow is sick. And they say he has cancer of the lungs. And they say there's a special treatment which will cost me all earthly property that I have. I borrow money that I will pay over the next 10 years. But if I can get that money and they pay for that treatment, that lung cancer will be killed. And I go ahead and do that. I become poor. I don't have, I, you see me trekking around. I don't have a house to live in anymore. I'm managing in one small BQ somewhere. Me and my family. Then I see the joker. I paid all of that to free from lung cancer. And I said, now give me one cigarette there. I don't know whether you are getting my point here. You know, you have a right to do with what you, what you like with your body. But according to what we understand now, cigarette smoking is the number one cause of lung cancer. So if you pick that cigarette, you're ungrateful. You're ungrateful. That even if the pressure for cigarettes is so much, if you think of what I went through to deliver you from lung cancer, you won't touch it. Mary Kay Ash said her husband tried for many years to stop smoking. It did not work. They said it causes cancer. It couldn't stop him. Then one day she read a magazine that she was reading earlier that says when you smoke, you don't only hurt yourself, you hurt the people you love who live with you. Because it's what we call the dangers of secondhand smoke. So a cigarette smoker does not only hurt himself, he hurts those who live in the house. Said so the moment the woman, the man read it, that was the last cigarette he ever smoked. Suddenly the ability to stop smoking. I said faith works by love. The ability to stop smoking came into him when he saw that I'm hurting my wife. But like she said in her book, by that time they did not know it was already too late. The cancer was already growing. So even though he stopped, did not stop from growing. Because cancer is like that. Once the thing that starts it, starts, starts it. But that's how we define it. The growth com- continues even after you have withdrawn the cause. That's just an illustration. So any Christian that continues walking in sin, giving excuses, is either totally ignorant or totally an ingrate.
Jesus did not die for motor car. Let's get it clear. He came to bring perfect sons for the Father. And that is why he doesn't find it, he doesn't take it easy. Let's go back to David. David is still loving Bathsheba inside his heart. Killing Uriah inside his heart. God said, I will kill him. That is, I will kill those things inside him. I will kill those things. If I have to disgrace him internationally, I will. Which is what happened. He said, but I must get him to get on his knees and say, create in me a clean heart. Renew a right spirit within me. He needs to say it. And not just a statement of creating me. That is a statement made out of desperation. A statement made out of realization of the current state of his heart. As I was saying things like, uh, you know, I was born in iniquity and all those stories. Before that, the man was having so much victory in battles, he thought he was a strong man spiritually. I said we should open somewhere, right? Acts chapter 8. Listen. What God has given us is the seed of God, and it dwells in every one of God's children. I'm not denying that fact. The seed of God is in every one of his children. Undeniable. But I've said to us before, sometimes if we are not careful, we make some generalizations that are not true. He said, once light comes, darkness disappears. That's not the scripture. He said, the light shines in darkness. And what did the Bible say? So you have two expressions there. The darkness could not comprehend it, or the darkness could not overcome it. But the darkness did not run away. It's an assumption. We just assume that once you put on light, darkness disappears. No? <laughs> you know? I used to say it too. I'm sure if you listen to my message, as as five years ago, I was still saying that. Until one day I read it and said, no, the Bible doesn't say so. The light shines in the darkness. The light, the darkness, specific things. I also noticed that he said, what relationship has light with darkness? That is sometimes people mingle them together and they have to explain to them, no, it's not supposed to be. He said, are you saying darkness and light can exist together? Yes. The Bible says it all the time. I didn't start it. And major problem in the lives of Christians is a mixture of light and darkness. In fact, I wanted to start today's message by explaining, that I, just to remind us again, that one major problem we have had with faith is the compartmentalization of our lives. Thinking that this area, I can have faith, the other area, I just ignore the faith. And that's one major reason why faith is not strong. It's the way the Bible says light and darkness can exist together. I'll, I'll show it to you again. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was without form and void. And darkness was upon the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God hovered over the surface of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And the Lord saw that the light was good. So he separated the light from the darkness. They were mixed. <laughs> and the day I realized it was when I found that scientists have found out that most of the mass of this universe comprises of what is called dark matter as the sun is shining it's passing through dark matter it's not dispelling the darkness to the average person on the earth what we call darkness is absence of light spiritually darkness is a positive force a substance in itself that is why it does not just disappear because light comes why it's important you accept what I'm saying. If you don't, you get confused as to why Christians behave like unbelievers. As to why they behave like unbelievers. You'll be wondering, after he has given his life to Christ, and you said the seed of God is in him. They say, if you're born again, your spirit is pure. Your spirit is pure because the spirit of God is in you. You can only do what is right from that on. You can only do what is right. It is not so. My people of God, it is not so. And that has been a problem. When a person gives a life to Christ, what Jesus does is to breathe his spirit upon the person. 
He puts it inside there, just like God brought light onto the earth. Then he says, guys, let's walk together. What are we supposed to do? We will now separate darkness from this light and eject darkness out of your lives deliberately. Let's read it. Acts chapter 8, verse 4. Therefore, those who have been scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and began proclaiming Christ to them. The crowds with one accord were giving attention to what was said by Philip as they heard and saw the signs which he was performing. And for time's sake, I'll just jump it. So a lot of things happened, verse 7 and verse 8. Verse 9 now. Now, there was a man named Simon, who was formerly practicing magic in the city and astonishing the people of Samaria, claiming to be someone great. And they all, from smallest to greatest, were giving attention to him, saying, this man is what is called the great power of God. And they were giving him attention because he had for a long time astonished them with his magical acts. But when they believed Philip preaching the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were being baptized men and women alike. Verse 13, even Simon himself, everybody shout it loud, even Simon himself did what? Believe. Even Simon himself, believe. he believed though. You, want, you may want to rewrite the scripture and say he did not believe, he only appeared to believe. That is your own version. Because many times I've seen Christians try to explain that Ananias and Sapphira were not Christians. Because they couldn't stomach the fact that God will stone them dead. It doesn't fit the gospel that they preach. The gospel of grace. The gospel of Jesus that covers everything. Jesus has taken your punishment, so God will never punish you. Lie. There are so many scriptures that show that those doctrines cannot be correct. Just don't have time to be going, through, going over them now. It, let, let's leave common sense Christianity away from here. Let's leave it out. Let's leave it behind. If you want to stick with what God said, what the word says, that thing is totally not true. Ananias and Sapphira were members of the church. I told you before, I found out something about Paul. If unbelievers did him evil, he said nothing about it. The day I found out that Alexander the Coppersmith was a Christian. I said, what? Then it dawned on me that everybody that Paul pronounced judgment on were believers. Almost all of them. Let me not say everybody, because let I make a mistake. Those who are preaching blasphemies were Christians. If you were not a Christian, you couldn't preach blasphemy to them. How will a Muslim or a Jew come amongst them and be teaching them the word? Would they listen? Jezebel was a Christian, the one in Revelation. Teaching doctrines that made people commit immorality. As, listen, I'm not kidding. Listen, you'll see divine judgment begin from 2019. I'm not kidding about it. Listen, you see, if you go to a church and everybody's loose or dishonest, go and check the preaching of the pastor. And listen to me, God will soon judge it. He will soon judge it. He will soon judge it. I have found out one of the dangerous doctrines we preach is the one in which we eradicate the fear of God and say the fear of God is reverence. It's a lie. The Bible did not say the fear of God is reverence. When he wanted to describe the fear of God, he would tell you to be afraid. That is a terrible thing to fall into the hand of the living God. When he wants to describe the fear of God, the context in which he explains it is, be well, oh boy. He said, judge yourself. So you will not be judged, that is, by the Lord. And even when he judges you, it's because he's being kind to you. Because he does not want to condemn you with the world. What does that tell you? If a believer is not careful, he will be condemned with the world. People have asked me before, can a believer's name be erased from the book of life? I said, I was never the one that brought the matter up. It was Jesus. He said, do what is right so that I will not erase your name. If it was not, I mean, it's common sense. I mean, it's simple logic. If it was not possible... Why will he want him with it? Listen, people of God, Simon believed. Simon believed. That's what the Bible says. He believed. Now listen to this. Let's continue reading. Even Simon himself believed. And 
he was what? Baptized. After being baptized, he continued on with Philip. For time's sake, I'm just going to stop in some critical points as he was observing things and all of that. Now, we now see a situation in which apostles came from Jerusalem because they heard what had been going on in Samaria. Because the Holy Spirit had not come upon them and all of that. So they sent, for time's sake, we just go there. They sent Peter and John, who came down, verse 10, and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. Verse 17. Then they began laying hands on them, and they were receiving the Holy Spirit. Now, when Simon, who had believed, remember, saw that his spirit was bestowed through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Give this authority to me as well, so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Peter, taught by the Lord himself, who understood spiritual things that we don't understand till today. Forty day, After three years of being with Jesus, 40 days after resurrection, he was listening to him every day. When Jesus went away, he didn't know Jesus was going again. He heard these words taught. Look at what Peter said. But Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you. Because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have no part or portion in this matter. For your heart is not right before God. A man who had believed, who had been baptized. Yet, Peter said, look at you. Your heart is not right before God. Which gospel are we preaching these days? And we call it grace. We talk to Christians and say, once you enter an altar call, your heart is right with God. Everything is okay in your life. Anything you commit is not you. It's the devil. Walking with your flesh. But you, don't worry about it. A man said, the gospel, the grace of God is so powerful that if after that altar call, if you like deny Jesus, I read a quote from his book. These were his words. If a Christian for all practical purposes starts living like an unbeliever to the extent of denying Jesus, he's still safe. He said he's still saved. It's a name that if you want, I won't tell you, but if you meet me personally, I'll tell you the name. And on Sunday, tune, by the time you go through four Christian channels, you'll catch him preaching. And let me tell you something, God will judge that doctrine very soon. He will. That is, even if the Christian denies Jesus, is that not why pastors, has, when they hear that Leah Shuaibu refused to deny Christ, they are saying, no, now she should have just denied him so that he, she can be released. And after that, she will claim him again. That's how stupid, stupid we have become in preaching. Instead of us to gather and spend a day thanking God that people like Leah still exist and our prosperity gospel has not taken them away. Instead of us to say, God, so you mean Shadrach? Meshach and Abednego still exist. Instead of all of us to go and have girls and name all, of, all the girls Leah Sharibu. Not just Leah, Leah Sharibu, compound name. As a witness to the generations after. They will come to a church and say, ah, how come I found, I've met four girls here today. Four young women, all of them Leah Sharibu, Leah, 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 all over. What did it concern you people and, you, and uh, you, Jacob's first wife? He said, ah, Jacob's first wife, we do not know. But who is Leah? He's a young lady who refused to deny Jesus, even under pressure. So that young people after will know that, listen, this Jesus can be died for. But you know what Pastor Isaiah is saying? No, just deny him. Then come home. They will baptize you again. You know, when we become foolish, we don't think of possibilities. What if you deny him and they behead you? You forgot that possibility? There was one joke that was flying around. That two Christians once, they got lost in the desert or something. They were walking through dry places. 
And they were very hungry and thirsty, of course. And I stumbled into the tent of an Arab 